Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. I know we are missing a few people this morning. We've got a, a good sizable amount from the Christian Student Center and those that are helping along with that uh, down in the Dominican Republic right now. Keep them in your prayers. I haven't heard anything back. I guess there's some stuff on Facebook if I've been noticing those things, uh, counting some of the things that are happening in and I pray and trust that they'll do a great job there. Where is your heart? I think that was probably the question that Jesus had in mind as he began the Sermon on the Mount. Where is your heart? When Jesus came to the earth, coming down in the form of man, Walking among God's people, one of the things that you very quickly observe was how Jesus took note of the religious leaders and the lack of heart that they had in what they were doing. They were going through the maneuvers, if you want to call it that, the, the process of the religious activities of the Jewish people, but they were lacking that involvement from within. The heart was missing. In the book of Acts, there's a discussion about that. And in the book of Matthew later on, Jesus will even ridicule the Pharisees themselves, very particularly in chapter 23 of Matthew. And just one little isolated insulation moment here, just to let you see what's happening. He says to the Pharisees, you tie, that is, you pay 10% of the anise, the cumin, within your gardens, but you neglect the weightier matters of God. What he was saying was, you're going through the process of paying a 10%, even down to the garden where you, you peel off one-tenth of each one of these little spices you have growing, and yet you're neglecting justice mercy and grace for the people. So they were missing what was really found in the heart. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, these people, quoting Isaiah, they draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Imagine, this is not just a preacher ridiculing God's people, but it's the Son of God reacting to the lack of heart in the people, in the appeal that they would make toward God themselves. So in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice as Jesus begins giving this lengthy discourse at the beginning of his ministry, that everything is a matter of the heart that they were missing. Murder begins with anger, Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 26. The problem in the heart. Adultery begins in lust, Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Again, a matter of the heart. Lying to God in oaths begins with lying to men. Again, Matthew 5, 33 to 37. A problem with the heart. Showtime religion, as doing it just to be seen of men, 
begins with a desire to be praised. Matthew chapter 6. Problems of the heart. Greed begins with loving things over loving God. Matthew 6, 19 to verse 24. A great problem of the heart. Worry begins to be a lack of trust or begins with a lack of trust in God. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. A problem of the heart. Judgmentalism, as Jesus talks in Matthew 7, verse 1, where he says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And he continues on with that. He says, It's a failing to look at your own heart and your life. All really become matters of the heart. Satan is after the hearts of man. When you think about the first sin that was committed in the garden... The lie that Satan told to Eve when Eve said, if we eat of that fruit, we'll die. And Satan's response is, oh, no, you won't die. You'll become like God. He was tantalizing her. And she looks at the fruit. If you'll remember the saying that's written in there. And she looked and she saw it was good tasting, an appeal to flavor of the heart. And on and on, all these things it would be capable of doing to make her special. Again, problems with the heart. All these become matters with the heart, and, and Satan is fully aware of that. Now, here's what we're looking at this morning. Again, the Proverbs 4.23 passage in the New King James says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows all the issues of life. Everything that's happening in this world today that works itself in whatever manner starts in the heart of man. Whether it's good or it's bad, the matters of the heart direct us, guide us, motivate us in whichever direction. And thus, as we're looking at this, point number one is the wise man Solomon says, keep your heart with all diligence, or another translation says guard it. I, I've visioned these, these machine guns out there in front of the body and shields out there, and there's this giant militia of guards out there protecting ourselves. This is what God is trying to convey to us because that's where it all starts. Issues of the heart. Diligence is required. Too often, we move, we move through life with our hearts open to all of these things out there. And Satan so easily is able to slip in, deceive, and, and, and in that process convince us of things we like to have, tantalize us toward things that we ought not to be doing, or, or distract us in our hearts in other directions that keep us from doing the things that are good. As we're looking at what's happening, all of the things that we do, Good and bad are matters of the heart. Diligence is required. Number two, as we're looking at this, this will be Satan's attack point when you think about it. I, I've never played in a professional team, obviously, of anything, but I do admire the, the task of endurance and study, how the pros in football or basketball or whatever, the, the best of the best are out there analyzing 
what the other teams are capable of doing. They, they know the, the attack points. They know their advantages. They know their defense, their offense. They study their competitors. Satan is doing this, if you'll think about it. Jesus, matter of fact, will tell Simon Peter toward the latter part of the ministry, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you out like wheat. You personally, Peter. He's after you. He's after me by name. And he knows our weak points. And every one of those are introduced through the heart, you see. And so as Satan is out there looking how he's going to be doing these things, we have to be aware of the fact that he's going to be in the process of deceiving us. Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, to be on our guards and as great soldiers who have this heavy armor up there, because as he describes there, we have to beware of the, the wiles or the schemes of the devils. We, uh, the devil. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, he'll say, but, but against the principalities and the, the powers of the spiritual darkness. So Satan is out there with his schemes to get to your heart, matters of the heart. Colossians chapter 3, Paul will write in this letter here about this very thing. He'll, he'll use a different word, but he's describing the, the entrance point of man. Sometimes the word heart and sometimes the word mind and sometimes the word affections are introduced in that very same verse, depending on your translation. But verse 1, Paul writes this in chapter 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, other translations say affection, sometimes it'll say heart, on the things above, not on the things of earth. Being fully aware, as Paul's been taken into temptation, like any other writer from the biblical times, they are aware of the fact that there's Satan's dubious activities out there to get to us. So he reminds us of where our heart needs to be aiming toward or focused at. Matters of the heart. The center of all of our thinking. Number three, the heart is the key to what's happening here. Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist writes, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin. A key to protecting ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or in Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your heart? hearts, you see, keep coming up here. Or in Matthew 12, verse 35, Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure, implying of the heart, brings forth the evil things. Look at Matthew chapter 15 for just a moment. I want you to see what's happening here is we look at verses 18 and 19. We'd already talked about Jesus back in verse 8, talking about their heart being far from them, those who drew near to worship. Verse 18, he says, 
But those things which proceed out of the mouth, he's talking about things that people said about him, about mankind as a whole, those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, he says, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. All of these things, again, pointing us to the fact that the heart is really the key to what's happening. Jesus is looking out, and he's seeing his people, and they're rather just, I don't know, they have this, this Sunday morning, I, I didn't set my clock forward the right way and look in their faces, and they're all kind of weary like some of us. And, and he says, Where, where's your heart? Of course, these people are not just due to an hour's loss in sleep. But their life has been dormant in their spiritual activities. They've gone through the actions, as I've mentioned earlier, and their heart's still not there. They're in the process of doing the things because their neighbors are watching or whatever reason. And so they're going to be this good person, but they're really not after it. They're not doing what God's asking for them. God looks at the heart. The best, I guess, illustration, I think, would find in 1 Samuel. Chapter 16, the context here is that God's first king over Israel, the one that he'd chosen, Saul, has now been rejected. Saul has committed some sins, and he's done things that, that isn't worthy to be God's leader. And so God is in pursuit to choose a new person. He's got him picked out, and he sends out Samuel, this, this prophet of that time, and also a priest to anoint the new king. Samuel's a little bit, uh, would you say, scared? Because he knows when he shows up in this area to do, to do this task, that the people are going to ask what's going on, and they're going to be looking at Samuel as if you're trying to stir up problems by anointing a new king, especially since Saul has not died yet. So Samuel, doing what God has asked him, shows up now at the household of a young man who's uh, appointed by God to, to have this family. Uh, his name, David, is going to be appearing here, but he shows up in this house, and Samuel looks out, and he sees David now in the process, but he also sees David's older brothers much bigger than David, much older, more experienced in life. And Samuel thinks, well, this must be the individual that God has chosen. Verse 6, so it was that when they, that is the brothers now, came in, he looks at Eliam and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Imagine now he's picking out the biggest one in the bunch and he looks out and he's all excited. He gets up with his, his uh, anointing oil in his hand. And he's about to step forward and do this. And, and I'm paraphrasing. God says, sit down, Samuel. That's not the one. Literally, he says this in verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Now, not that he was a bad person. He just wasn't going to be the king in that aspect. So I have refused him for the Lord. Here's instruction for you, Samuel. The Lord does not see as a man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, don't we all? How well are dressed, 
how strong they are, how well they're educated, all of these things that we can put on a resume somewhere. The Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David is chosen. He'll be described by God himself, as the inspired writer writes in the book of Acts, as the man after God's own heart. A connection between two that bonds a relationship between David and God because of a heart connection. God looks at the heart. Psalm 7, verse 9. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. Again in Psalm 19, verse 14. David writes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 95, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion, talking about the people of old when they wandered in the deserts and rebelled against God, as in the day of the trial at the wilderness. Then Jesus will say in one of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And then there's this very obscure passage. You've probably never heard of it before. Matthew 22, 37. You shall love the Lord your God. Oh, yeah, you've heard that one, haven't you? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. God's looking at our heart. Tired, weary, worn down, beaten, trodden over, but a heart that is now devoted to God regardless of the situation. So Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. Emphasized in there, I think, as a matter of what to do when you're leaving today and thinking about what am I up to this week, strengthen your heart. Think about Psalm 31 verse 24 be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart all that you hope to do in the Lord the idea that we are in the process of either building ourselves up or allowing ourselves to grow weak that becomes again a matter of the heart it's amazing how many things fit within that Matter of fact, a passage that you probably could quote, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How much is involved in that? How much God is in pursuit of the heart? The heart. The heart is the key. That's the lesson for today. But the question is, as you go home or you're contemplating as we sing this song, who holds your heart? Diligence required to maintain a protection over our heart. God wants us to love him with all of our heart, to trust him with all of our heart. Satan says, ah, you don't need that right now. There's time for that later. There's all kinds of things to distract you and encourage you and to motivate you in the world to seek after. Where is your heart? Who holds the key 
to your heart. Who holds your heart? Worthy of examining in our life, God wishes for your heart. Is your heart right with God? Would be a question this morning. And if it's not, we encourage you to make it right. Heart language, speaking out to God, is something between you and Him. But if you're not right with God, we encourage you to come. Come and be baptized. Come back if you've gone away. Hold on to your heart and allow God to have it. If you need to come forward, come as we stand and sing. God, does thou count all things for Jesus but love?